begin last week a, a thought on the conscience. I wanted to deal with it again today and then deal with Paul's conscience. And um, I'll let the Word speak for itself. Father, we come before You in a season that the globe thinks about this child. Father, with the hatred and the bitterness that goes towards him, both openly and concealed. Father, I pray that we who are called by your name will be bold, will stand firm in your word. And Father, may our conscience not condemn us, but affirm us that we are children of the truth. Father, it is for such a day as this that you have placed each and every one of us. Father, help us to walk worthy of that enormous task. Father, let us understand it as a privilege and let it be hearts full of thanksgiving. Father, as we look at this text and the words that you have given, Father, may we in humble adoration bow before with great joy in our hearts as we deal with the eternal destiny of men. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege. Thank you, Lord, for revealing your majesty and glory to each and every one of us. And Father, may we be found faithful in Christ's name. Amen. Verses 12 through 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For our proud confidence is this. The testimony of our conscience is that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. For we do not write nothing else to you than what you read and understand, and I hope will understand until the end, just as you also partially did understand us that we are your reason to be proud as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. I used an illustration last week that everybody seemed to remember. (laughs) I don't know what that means. Um, Of an airplane crash in 1984 in Spain. And all were lost on this airplane crash and they found the black box and the radar and ground positioning warning system said they were too low and so the system warning system began telling them to pull up to pull up to pull up and the pilot switched the warning system off and said shut up gringo as the plane plowed into the side of a mountain That is our conscience. Our conscience sits around and tells us to pull up or you're going to crash. And what you have found and what you have seen and what you and I exist in today has been a systematic um, aiding to make the conscience an error. You should not heed your conscience. It will only lead to psychological distress. Um, And what I see today is a a system that just absolutely keeps attacking the conscience. And it it is to appease the conscience. It is to remove my guilt, to to remove my shame. And we have even gone as far as uh, prescribing medicines that will overcome our conscience so that I don't feel shameful, so I don't feel guilt. And our conscience today is based on whatever is its highest standard. And let's be realistic. What is the standard of the conscience in the United States today? I'm thinking that the standard is not that high. 
But I shared with you last week out of 1 Peter chapter 2, as newborn babes crave this pure spiritual milk of the Word that you may grow. That is the understanding of our conscience. And as we grow in that understanding of who is God, as we grow in our understanding of His glory, as we grow in His understanding of His holiness, of, of understanding of His majesty, in the understanding of Christ, in an understanding of Scripture, that standard of conscience continues to elevate And yet, we who are Christians need to understand we need to have a biblical standard, not a man's standard. We have a tendency sometimes to augment the standard to make it fit what we believe. Our conscience as Christians... um, should not be made up of non-biblical issues. Um, I see people who will take non-biblical issues and use it to shame, to guilt. But then I see others who will take and eliminate biblical issues that they should be ashamed of. And I believe that this, I believe that this may be the single most important issue in front of each of us this day. Please understand something. I love all of you and I don't need you to be concerned about my conscience. Okay? You need to be about concerned in your own conscience. Because one of the ways we will shut up our conscience is what? Be concerned about somebody else's. It's just easier. And we will appease our conscience trying to, quote unquote, assist another. Do I, I think the reason that I see an urgency in this is that we have to know that our Christian life is going to move ahead in large measure depending on our conscience. Okay? Because to the degree that I look at the Word of God will be the standard of my conscience, and the standard of my conscience will be the degree of my ministry, will be the degree of my service, will be the degree of my walk with the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you see the Apostle Paul on a regular basis saying, my conscience is clear before God. See, That's that voice that is in every one of us that calls at times, pull up, pull up, pull up. I gave you an illustration last week, and I'll pick it up again, that the conscience is like a skylight. Okay, it allows light in. Okay, the conscience does not produce light. It only allows it to pass. And one of the questions you have to ask now, okay, my conscience is the skylight. God is the light. But I'll ask this question. How pure is that light? Do I keep the conscience clean? The Apostle Paul, this is evidently of great urgency to Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 9 speaking of deacons and deacons are servants in the church all right holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience You know, that's funny because I watch people talk about deacons and elders and they're always speaking, well, are they divorced or do they do this or do they? You know what? One of the things you never hear us speak of 
How clear is their conscience? You ever thought about that? You ever noticed you go through the hymnal? I was looking through the hymnal. I thought, we, there's got to be a hymn in here speaking of the conscience. There isn't. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Surely somebody has wrote a hymn on the conscience of man. I'll keep looking. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 12, we went through this. Remember speaking of a food, eating food offered to idols. And if you eat that food, it's not that big a deal. Right? Because it's not what goes in that defiles the man, but what comes out. But then he makes this statement. If you have a weaker brother who flees that this is a violation for his conscience, keep your conscience clear. The book of Titus, Paul speaks of the conscience again. Titus chapter 1, verse 15. He says this, To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience is defiled. That's that warning level, the the, the base of operation. And we have to be careful because Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2, By means of hypocrisy of liars, seared their own conscience as with a branding iron. They they basically took their conscience and they inflicted it so much that it became callous. It became a scar tissue that was not sensitive to anything. A conscience without feeling. So Paul was concerned about it. Peter was concerned about it. We need to grow in the Word. Why? So that that conscience is sensitive to what is going on in our realm, in our hearts. See, one of the things that I struggle with, and and, and one of the things that I believe that many of you will struggle with, do you look at your conscience as a gift from God? Because, see, if you look at it and you say, well, it's a gift from God, then the first thing you have to say is, I am thankful. Sometimes our conscience is annoying. And it's a little tough to say, gosh, I'm thankful for this annoyance. It's a gift from God... And when it's properly informed as to truth, it'll give you the right information you need for every circumstance. And you don't have to yell at it, and you don't have to figure out how to turn it off. Why? Because what happens is, the thankfulness of my conscience, through the power of God's Word, I can all of a sudden can bow and raise forth with Alleluia. Thank you, Lord, for a trained mind. I will be able to take every thought captive to Christ because my conscience will warn me if I'm wandering, wobbling, See, to know the truth, then I know that what's passing through the skylight of my conscience is right. And it is only pure light. I read a guy named Sibs. And the guy is... I know why this book wasn't published a lot. (laughs) But he spoke of the conscience and he gave a picture Here's a small phrase out of it. The conscience is the court in the council of the human heart. And I was like, what? And then I had to think about it for a second. You know, sometimes these guys write this and you're like, well, it sounds really cool, but what in the world does that mean? Okay. But if you think about it in your heart, 
And this is a fascinating thought. Because when I think about your conscience, I'm thinking about that place that the only person who knows what's in there is you. Okay, You can be married today and you can say that you and your spouse just know each other. You don't know the conscience. I guarantee you, wives, you don't know your husband's conscience and husbands, you don't know your wife's conscience. Okay, You may know actions of that conscience. Your life may become extraordinarily miserable because of a person's conscience. But you don't know the conscience. That's the heart. That's right where you're at. And I thought about this, that the conscience is the court. Okay, you know what courts are, right? That's where judgments are made. Guilty, not guilty. Right? And I thought about that. I thought, you know, he's right. Where I take my counsel from begins with where? My conscience. Right there. That's where my counsel starts. But I thought about this because he got, the guy had a good point, but I, I think he could have even said more. Because when I think about court, I know none of you have ever been in court. I have been a few times. <laughs> but when you go to court, you have an accuser. You have a defendant. You have a judge. You even got a guy up there that's the recorder. You have an executioner who will take care of whatever the verdict is. You have defense, and you know what else you got? Witnesses. For and against. Right? That's what goes on in court. But you know what the difference is? Your conscience is all of those. In this guy's analogy, your conscience is the judge. Your conscience is the accuser. Your conscience is the defender. Your conscience is the witnesses. Your conscience is even the recorder of the testimonies presented before your judge. So what do you hide? I mean, that's the perfect judicial system. I think that's kind of cool. Until I look at my conscience. My first response was, I need a new lawyer. (laughs) He made the statement, the chastisement of a violated conscience is like a flash of hell. Unquote. It's an interesting thought. But if you think about it, who is the greatest accuser in the condemnation of a fallen man or woman who ends up in eternal damnation? You know, we always talk about fire and brimstones and little demons poking you with pitchforks and things like that. You know what's going to be the worst torment of an eternal damnation? The conscience of the individual. They will have all the times that they heard Pull up, pull up, pull up. And yet all the witnesses will be to their damnation and they will carry that for eternity. So when he made the statement that it, a, the chastisement of a violated conscience is like a flash of hell, I thought, you know what? He's right. They get to carry that only for eternity. Those who try to silence their conscience, the accusing side of conscience, are playing a very deadly game. Very deadly game. And today, it's aided and it's abetted with great emphasis across the boards. We have major industries that have produced basically human, contemporary human counselors And their whole job is to silence man's conscience. You know what's the tragedy about that? This truth may escape the counselors, but it will not escape the the conscience. The conscience knows. I mean, we give medication so you don't feel depressed. You know what? Maybe you need to feel depressed. Maybe your conscience is saying, pull up, 
pull up, pull up. And yeah, I think it's just some psycho thing. The conscience in our society, and I'm talking about the church now, is discouraged. And, and, and I thought about this as, you know, the years that I have had the privilege to be in the word of the Lord. And I, I thought, you know, what God has shown me, just that privilege. I mean, just just in my readings, I, I'm not talking about you know, teaching events or being able to go to certain conferences or or being exposed to this or that or the other. I'm talking about my time with my Lord in His Word. Conscience should discourage us from secret sins. Should be at least a a, a turmoil, a, a fight there. Um, you know, and I and I thought about this. And I thought, you know what? Most of the time, when our conscience, let's say, accuses us, our hope will move that... Um, our, our hope will be that no one finds out. That's why I say in the conscience of men and women, I guarantee the spouse don't know. Because there's times that your conscience has yelled at you and you said, (gasps) I hope you said, (gasps) I hope you didn't say, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I was there. I know. Okay. But our greatest hope at that moment is what? Nobody finds out. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. When your conscience accuses you, your first response is, I hope nobody finds out. But you know what? I was thinking about this, and and I kind of got it from Linsky. Um, Better for everyone to know than the conscience. Did you know that? See, the conscience is the witness that is within us. I, I, in my position, I've had multiple times when people have made accusations. It just, it goes, it's part of the job. Okay, people will accuse you of whatever. Okay. And you know what? And every time these accusations show up, I can always go to my conscience and say, what do you say? Guilty or not guilty? And my conscience has always affirmed me. You're fine. But when the conscience is the witness to the wrongdoing, where do you go to get him to be quiet? I mean, it's one thing if you get caught doing something in front of the whole congregation. It's another thing if your conscience says, I saw you. But nobody else did. No, dude, you don't understand. I saw you. You know, every once in a while we'll get an abstract, you know, God sees everything. But you know what? I've watched Christendom. We don't pay any attention to that. But you know what? You will pay attention. I watch people with their conscience. Those are the ones who have a lot of wrinkles on their forehead. Everybody's trying to straighten out their foreheads. (laughs) Not me, my forehead. (laughs) My conscience is fine, man. (laughs) Next Sunday, everybody will be wearing those nasal strips on their eyebrows. (laughs) Trying to get the wrinkles out. We have become very good at ignoring our conscience. But yet our conscience is still a witness. Everyone has one. And every conscience functions in response to whatever belief system is its highest standard of right or wrong. And yet in our culture today... Our culture has an extraordinarily low standard of right and wrong. I mean, you hear this phrase almost regularly. That's unconscionable. Really? 
I mean, listen to what's going on in our city. Just look at the news this week. Now, this is unconscionable. This man is worth a billion dollars, and what he did was unconscionable. And you know what? I, I heard an interview. It was on a sports show this week, and we're getting ready to finish up a decade. Okay, uh, uh, 10 years. And he says, what would this decade be remembered uh, remembered as in sports. You know what the guy said? The number of scandals. And you know what? His argument was right. Kobe Bryant, Tiger Woods. How about steroids? Have you ever thought about it? You know, and I thought, wow. And then all of a sudden I get this email, pop-up email from Disney, and it was talking about all these little... Do you guys remember, uh, what the heck was them? The Mouseketeers? Do you, you guys all know a Mouseketeer. Britney Spears was a Mouseketeer. My, have we changed. I remember Annette Futicello. <laughs> Sorry. But do you see what I'm trying to get at? And you look at it, and you, I see all of these uh, quote-unquote stars, whether it's in entertainment or sports and all the rest of it, and it's nothing but scandal, scandal, scandal to the point now that we don't even care. Don't even care. And yet everyone has a conscience. When you become a Christian, something happens to your conscience. Did you know that? I want to share this. And you know what? I guarantee you that some of you are going to say, are you kidding me? And I'm going to tell you, I ain't here to make you believe the Bible. And not my job, man. My job is to say, here's what it says. Okay, then I'll let you and your conscience wrestle with it. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience hmm and our bodies washed with pure water sprinkled clean from an evil conscience see before you were a Christian your conscience was battling you all the time all the time that's why it's easy to get into drug abuse. Whether it's alcohol or narcotics or whatever it is, drug you want to do, you can do those because the first thing it does is take the edge off your conscience. And the more I do it, <laughs> I don't even have to listen to it anymore. And here's the tragedy. From the time you were a child, all kinds of guilt, you may call them bad memories, all kinds of shame as you lived your life kept accumulating more and more and more in your conscience. And you would have a little more remorse. You would have a little more despair. And it could continue to grow. And it would continue to grow. Have you ever been, ever busted your kids? I mean, your kids get caught doing something. And I mean, you catch them red-handed. Okay? What's the first words that come out of their mouth? I'm sorry. Okay? I'm sorry. Okay? As a parent... Your first response is, you are not. Okay, but here's what goes on. That goes into their conscience. And they got caught. Whether it's in the little white lie. What is a little white lie? Is that a holy lie? I don't think so. But see what we just did? We tried to start taking the edge off of our conscience. 
but it all accumulates. And now we have several generations who are depressed. The longer people live, the more their conscience assaults them. Okay? They will be less happy. They will always be less fulfilled. And they're never content. They're never at peace. And they're always struggling with everything. And it's because their conscience is saying, pull up, pull up, pull up. And they, for whatever reasons, refuse. Chapter 9, verse 14 of the book of Hebrews. How much more will the blood of Christ through eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You know what? I don't understand why a Christian right there can't just jump up and go, Whoa! At the moment of your salvation, your conscience is a clean slate. Listen, up until that time, your conscience has every right in the world to condemn you. Every right to shame you. Every right to depress you. Every right to fill your heart with despair, sadness, and sorrow. Every right. And I I, I use a little vernacular here and I could only think of this. You know, me. Your conscience has every right to take the accumulated sin and beat you with it. I remember a young man one time. It's been years ago had kind of strayed from the house and was out living on his own. And he was out, um, had gotten into uh, drug trafficking in, in a very, very high degree, um, almost a million dollars a week, uh, which would be a very high degree. And, and, and this young man uh, walked into a trap. That's how he perceived it. It was a trap. And uh, the DEA said it wasn't. And um, he was arrested. Um, had some stolen military weapons and a whole bunch of illegal drugs. You know what the first thing he said went through his head? What is my mom going to think? You ever thought about it? That's the weirdest thought. I thought, you know, that's that's crazy thought. But you know why? Because that young man had been killing his conscience and oppressing his conscience and searing his conscience as often and as often as he could. And then all of a sudden it got guilty thrown right at him. Then he realized the ramifications of not listening to his conscience. Interesting thought, though. And yet, at the point of salvation, the blood of Christ absolutely washes your conscience. Clear, clean slate. You know what? And you've seen it. You've heard it. People come to Christ and the person will say, "I, I feel forgiven. You will hear them say, it's, 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 it's like a huge burden has been lifted off of me. Why? That burden was an accusing conscience and it has been washed absolutely clean at the point of salvation. Listen, saved people, this is so cool. Saved people don't have to carry around accumulated guilt. We don't have to carry around all of the life anguish and despair and sorrow and sadness that we had before salvation. They don't have to. That's one of the reasons that I would argue against, well, no one can be in church leadership if they're divorced. What if they're divorced before they were saved? Well, they still can't be divorced. Really? So you're going to let them carry that one around but they don't have to carry any of the other ones around. You'll let a murderer be a church planner 
but he better not be divorced. What if he's a divorce murderer? Oh, never mind. Sorry. He'll be a deacon. No. <laughs> Your conscience, when you are saved, becomes sanctified. Do you know what that means? Holy. Listen, and because of salvation, faith tells your conscience he's forgiven. Or she's forgiven. They're forgiven. Faith will say it doesn't matter. And, and now, you know what? I bet there's a handful of you in here saying, nah, I'm not thinking that's right. Okay, well, then deal with this. We'll take and leave the writer of Hebrews out of it. And we'll say, what does God say? God says, I have removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. That'd be like New Mexico, isn't it? Isn't that as far as the east is from the west? He says, I have buried your sins in the depths of the seas. That's what God says. Oh, yeah. He also says, I remember them no more. Huh. Blood of Jesus Christ cleanses your conscience. It no longer accuses you. It tells us we are pardoned. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are a child of the Most High God. That's what your conscience tells you. It's a marvelous gift. Christian starts with a clean slate. And at the day of your new beginning, at the moment that your conscience is cleared, no matter how many years of accumulated transgressions you have at one moment the conscience no longer accuses the conscience will tell you you're forgiven the conscience will tell you that the burden has been lifted do you know that as a christian you start out with a cleansed conscience now here comes the issue. At that point of a clear conscience, clean slate, I am forgiven. It becomes our highest and most holy duty to guard the purity of that reborn, regenerated conscience. I need to guard my conscience. Because it has no right to accuse me from the past. But it does have a right to accuse me in the present. As a Christian, your conscience will let you know if it's time to pull up. As we learn the word, we grow in our conscience. Have you ever learned something or been, let's put it this way. Have you ever been guilty of something? here at this point in your life and then moving down your Christian walk all of a sudden over here oh I shouldn't do that no, nobody's ever done that but me great <laughs> well you guys are about to learn something new <laughs> okay but do you ever know <laughs> That's, I'm not listening I'll be accountable for it um, it, it's like the issue of pride I know that none of you have ever struggled with pride but I did do. Okay? And my conscience will get on me about pride. Why? But you know what? For probably seven or eight years of my Christian walk, what's the big deal about pride? I don't know. Go see Lucifer and ask him. He got kicked out of heaven for pride. Oh, bummer. Okay, so if you act prideful, guess who you're acting like? Ooh. Then you can go be Flip Wilson. The devil made me do it. Okay? But all of a sudden over here you learn that, you know, this pride is sort of a, a bad thing. And then all of a sudden you start studying a little more and you start saying, this ain't a bad thing. This is awful. 
The reason Eve ate of the fruit was pride. You eat of this, you'll know as God knows. That's pride. But you know what happened with me? I was never condemned. I was never accused. It was because, you know what? You just don't know. But you know what I watch for now? Pride. And if I start getting close to it, my conscience starts saying, Lucifer, stop it. <laughs> and it's not because the devil is near me. It's you're starting to act like him. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Right? And yet, under this cleansing blood of Jesus Christ, I am forgiven. Even my conscience. But it still has a right in this present day and age to tell you to pull up. And as I learn the word and I grow, my conscience keeps pulling me to a higher standard. And I use the word, it may not have to pull you, but it pulls me because there's sometimes I'm slower. Longer that we are in the word, the more the bells and the whistles of warning will be in your life. Okay? So, you know, the simple question would be this. How informed is your conscience? See, and for some people, that upsets them. That upsets them. You know, I, I remember a family that was in this church years ago, and, and they've long since left, and he wanted to tell me why he was leaving. And I said, you know, I, I, I get that joyful um, thing to do. And uh, he said, uh, we are leaving, him and his wife. He said, we are leaving because every time we listen to you, we feel guilty. God, I'm powerful. <laughs> you realize how silly that statement is? And at first I thought it was going to be a joke. I thought there was like... And that was the reason that they said they were leaving is that they always feel guilty when they listen to me. And I thought, that's my fault? I mean, I don't call you by name and say anything like that. But what I have learned is, is the longer that I stay in the Word, the longer my life is here on this planet, the more that my conscience uh, at times becomes hypersensitive. Okay? And there are people who get upset about that. Listen, my conscience does not get hypersensitive about you. Please understand that. My conscience is hypersensitive to me. Okay? And, you know, there was a time that I remember it as annoying. Gee, many crickets. Is there anything? You know, one of those. I know none of you guys ever thought that, but that was what I was thinking. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me. I should be extraordinarily grateful that my conscience is saying, hey, be careful. Even when I'm battling my conscience, I know you guys never battle. As soon as your conscience says you shouldn't do this, you just don't. But I battle my conscience occasionally. And even when I battle it, I am grateful that I'm even, you know what, that I even have a battle because I remember the days when my conscience and me were... <laughs> We're not together. See, those who have fallen, um, and, and I think about this in, in Christendom, okay, those who have fallen, okay, you know, I remember two pastors who were very vocal about the homosexual lifestyle and all the rest of it, and both of them got tangled up in homosexuality, okay. What do you think they did with their conscience? It's easy. Shut up, gringo. It was easy. You, you don't really believe that they're... Listen, I don't even care if they're not saved. You know, I've had people say, well, were those pastors saved? I don't care if they weren't. Everybody has a conscience. And if you stand up and proclaim one thing and then go do the exact opposite of it, 
Your conscience is going to say, hey, dude, I'm, I'm thinking that's just not working. And your conscience is, excuse me. And at some point, you're either going to stop and say, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Or you're going to say, what can I do to shut up my conscience? And that's what we do. Listen, brothers and sisters, your conscience is a gift. Especially if today you're saved and you have a cleansed conscience. It is the most precious gift that you've ever had. And it is your highest and most holy responsibility to protect it and to guard it. Oh yeah! And listen to it. Tragedy today in Christian quote-unquote counseling is that the movement is to silence the conscience. And that's deadly. That is absolutely deadly. We should be concerned about our conscience. It should be something that is foremost on our minds because Paul in Acts 23 verse 1, Paul before the council, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God. That's pretty strong. Chapter 24, verse 16. In view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before God and before men. I'm seeing a pattern. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. The purpose that we should be in the pulpit, those who would teach should be in the pulpit, should be this right here. Chapter 1, verse 5. The goal of our instruction, the goal of our doctrine, the goal of our theology is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere Faith. A sincere faith produces what? A blood-covered conscience by the blood of Jesus Christ. That would be a pretty strong verse 18 and 19. This command I trust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance to the prophecies previously made uh, concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. Okay. Keeping the faith. Amen. That's part of, fight the good fight. Keep the faith. Oh yeah, and a good conscience. Because there are some have rejected and suffered shipwrecked to the faith. See, he ties good conscience and faith together. You have seen saints who have shipwrecked. And you know what happened? They shut off their warning system. Chapter 3, verse 9. Deacons likewise, not double double tongue or addicted to wine or sword gain, holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Second Timothy chapter one, verse three. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. See what I'm trying to get at here? I watch people get into Theological debates over all kinds of crazy things. Prayer, shouldn't pray, uh, predestination, election, role of men, role of women, spiritual gifts, you name it, all the rest of it. You know one of the things I never see anybody struggling with? (laughs) How about your conscience? No, let's talk about dispensational theology. Okay? Do you believe that God is a trichotomous or a dichotomist? I remember somebody asking me one time, what do you think God did before He created? I know what He did. The guy said, what? He said, none of your business, or He'd have told us. <laughs> it's really not that hard. <laughs> I don't understand some of this. Why? Listen, I believe that this is major. I believe this is absolutely major. Okay? Because this is the heart of a strong testimony for Christ. And this is the heart of an effective life. Is that person who has a 
clear conscience. Clear conscience. Okay? If you're saved this day, guess what? Clean slate. Clean slate. Been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing in your past can condemn you. Nothing. Okay, if you're saved today and you started out with a clean slate and yet there's something troubling you, guess what? Pull up. Pull up. Pull up. Or you will crash and burn. Guaranteed. Father, I just praise you for your word and the amazing things that you do. Father, uh, I thank you that you reminded my poor, wretched soul that uh, my conscience has been cleansed. Precious blood of Jesus Christ. I stand with a sanctified conscience. Father, I... I thank you. Father, I pray for these precious people. Father, you'll help each of us to guard our conscience. And yet, Father, give us ears to listen to our conscience. Father, as newborn babes crave the pure spiritual milk of the Word, may that be how we are known. And I praise you and thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen.